you have your Bibles, you want to open them to John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. In this sermon series, Following Jesus, during the season of Lent, we've been thinking about all of the ways that following Jesus calls us to a particular action or calls us to respond to His work. And this morning we're thinking about Jesus warning us, all of His followers, uh, about some particular things. And so in John's Gospel, chapter 13... I'm going to begin reading in verse 21 through the end of the chapter, and I invite you to stand as we hear and receive God's word faithfully. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. After he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, Do quickly what you are going to do. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified. And God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, You will lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, You will have denied me three times. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In a recent episode of a popular TV series entitled The Good Doctor, three physicians are talking about the relationship of faith and healing, faith and medicine, faith and science. And uh, they're talking about that because the episode has to do with a pastor who's in the hospital and he has a very, very serious illness. And he's choosing one course of action against the judgments of many of the doctors. And uh, in the midst of this conversation, one of the young physicians says, well, you should know that several years ago I gave up on God. And she began to talk about how she'd lost her faith and lost her way. 
Later in the episode, those three, uh, same three doctors are operating on a patient. They're standing over the patient, and, and uh, out of the clear blue, one of the other doctors asks this young physician, what's it like to lose your faith? And she says, after just a moment's, moment's pause, it's like, really, it's like losing a really, really good friend. And then there follows something that doesn't happen very much on television. Silence. No dialogue, no music, just a pregnant moment where all these doctors are just standing looking at each other. And after a pause, they sort of blink and they go back to operating. What's it like to lose your faith? Like losing a really, really good friend. We haven't talked much in church life about what happens when we lose our way spiritually. Uh, We don't like to talk about it. It makes us uncomfortable. So we always talk about the beginning of our faith, conversion to Christ, and about how we're going to go home to glory someday. And we don't like to talk about following Jesus in the messy time in between when we lose our faith or when someone loses their way. But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus warns Judas. He warns Simon Peter. And because the others are listening in, he warns the other ten disciples. And by extension, because we're reading it and talking about it today, he has warned every follower of his from that point forward. He warns us about some things. And it seems like Lent is as good a time as any to talk about some very uncomfortable things about what happens when we lose our way spiritually. First, there's Judas. Now, a lot of theories have been put forward about why Judas turned on Jesus and gave him up to the authorities. Uh, Books have been written. PhD dissertations have been written. Lots of Sunday school classes have been argued. And we don't have definitive reasons. It probably has something to do with greed. He... He got money for it, a sizable sum. Also, there were probably political and theological reasons. He thought Jesus was too soft. He wanted Jesus to be a political and uh, military Messiah. And either he betrayed Jesus to force Jesus' hand. In other words, he really believed in Jesus, but he betrayed him in order to force his hand to come out and be strong politically and militarily. Or he had given up on Jesus and said there's a better way, a more direct way of political action and military action. But the warning is here and it's in front of us. We need to be careful when we think we know better than God. We don't want to go the way of suffering and the way of servanthood and love so we think that violence is the answer or we think bullying is the answer or we think Always having our own way is more important than being patient and waiting on God. There's a lot of warnings there. But it's also a couple of curious insights. Why did Jesus give the warning to Judas in front of all the others, in front of the other 11? Do you ever stop and think about the fact that Jesus could have taken Judas to the side by himself, privately addressed him and challenged him? And, and nobody would have known. Why did he do it in front of the others? Well, the answer seems pretty obvious. Because he wanted all the rest of them to be warned too, lest they had any thoughts about betrayal 
and giving up. Just like you and I ask the questions that the disciples ask at the Lord's Supper table. Lord, is it I? Have I failed you? Am I betraying you? There's another interesting insight. Jesus offers Judas a piece of bread dipped in what we would call gravy or sauce. And I believe in that moment, Jesus was giving Judas one more chance. Judas had free will. Now, I know there's some passages in John that make it look like it was predestined that, Jesus, that Judas would betray Jesus. But I believe those are written in retrospect after the fact. I believe every step of the way, Judas had free will. He could choose to go the Jesus way or to go the way of rebellion and sin and rejection and betrayal. And at that handing Judas the bread, there was that final moment where Jesus said, please, Judas, won't you? Can you imagine Jesus penetrating Judas's eyes with his own eyes and looking into his soul saying, Judas, won't you just please follow me? And by his facial expression, by Judas's facial expression, Jesus could tell that Judas's mind was made up. He had free will. He chose. He got up and he walked out. And then John, the master of metaphor, we've talked about it every Sunday, the love of double meaning. Judas leaves and John adds this note, and it was night. Boy, was it ever night. Was it ever dark. If I were a movie director, here's how I'd shoot that scene. Judas gets up from the table. He walks slowly away. And the camera just stays on him. Until the darkness, the nighttime, just sort of absorbs him. And he disappears. It was night. Next, there's Simon Peter. Proof positive... Simon Peter, proof positive that talking is not enough. That good intentions are not enough when it comes to following Jesus. Because Simon Peter certainly could talk and he had good intentions. Proof positive, that's not the same as obedience. Simon Peter is full of self-confidence. There's a little smugness in him, no doubt, that says... I don't know who you're talking about who's going to betray you, but I'm going to follow you every step of the way. I'm never going to betray you. Just like we all get smug when we see someone else stumble and fall. We say, well, I'm just so thankful that didn't happen to me. I know better. He was so filled with self-confidence. interesting to me that there is this Bible verse in 1 Corinthians that we quote often about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to everyone. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tested beyond your strength, but will with the testing provide a way of escape. We love that promise, don't we? But we forget that the verse before it says, let everyone who who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let everyone who smugly says, I'm standing, take heed lest you fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. You need both verses. The cock crow, as it was called in Jesus' day, was uh, the third watch of the night between midnight and three. And Jesus said, Simon Peter, you talk a big talk. 
but before the night is over, your promise will be broken. Peter, your promise won't last the night. That's tough to hear, isn't it? Aren't you glad that our salvation doesn't depend on what we do for God, but what God does for us? Aren't you glad we're not saved by the, the strength of our promises, but rather on the strength of God's promises to us? Because we're all just like Simon Peter. Boy, on Sunday morning, I can talk a big talk. I want to show you this great uh, quote uh, by Henry Nowen in one of his books. Uh, he says, There is a twilight zone in our own hearts that we ourselves cannot see. Our gifts, weaknesses, ambitions, and aspirations, our motives and drives. Large parts of ourselves remain in the shadow of consciousness. Other people, especially those who love us, can often see our twilight zones better than we can. Isn't that profound? We all have this twilight zone, this area of our own lives about our motives and about our desires that, that we're really sort of blind to, but people who love us can see that. And Jesus, who loved Judas and loved Simon Peter, could see that twilight zone. And he knew what they were struggling with. And he wanted to help them. Because there is in between the story of Judas and Peter that marvelous passage about how much Jesus loved the disciples. And he says, this is my new commandment, that you love each other the way I love you. He, he loves them even in betrayal and denial. This is my new commandment. By the way, that's where we get the word Monday for Monday Thursday. In Latin, commandment is modate. And it translated into Monday Thursday, the Thursday of Holy Week, when we celebrate communion. And Jesus said, I give you this new commandment. So see, don't ever quote that passage out of context because Jesus is giving us that commandment in the midst of his own betrayal and his own, the denial of him. You know, we think sometimes that loving others means that we don't get impatient if somebody cuts us off in traffic, or we don't get upset if somebody doesn't return a pencil that they borrowed from us at school. That's all well and good, but forgiveness and love go much deeper. They're about what you do when somebody betrays you, and somebody denies you, and somebody breaks your heart. Jesus keeps on loving. All of Jesus' warnings are warnings full of love. He's stern, he's honest, but they are warnings of love because he always loves us. Full disclosure here. I am a firm believer in the biblical truth of eternal security. I believe the Bible teaches and theology teaches that what we would say in common parlance, once saved, always saved the perseverance of the saints, that those who are truly converted will persevere to the end. doesn't mean we're always in fellowship with the Lord or that our walk with the Lord is always pleasing. We can be disobedient children and still be children. Having said all that, that is not a license to live any way we wish. It means that we follow Jesus because we've been gloriously converted. And it means 
that that truth of eternal security must be balanced out with daily faithful obedience, daily faithful following. And I want to say this as clearly as I know how to use the English language. Each of us is one bad choice away from blowing our Christian witness. We are all just one bad choice away from blowing our Christian influence. We are all just one poor decision away from ruining the sweet, confident, joyous fellowship we have with the Lord. Just one, just one decision can wreck it all. And Jesus warns us. Simply put, the difference between Judas and Simon Peter, Judas did not repent, Simon Peter did. Repentance, the great Catholic scholar Rahner, Karl Rahner, said repentance is not a single act. It's a posture. It's an attitude. It's a life direction. We are constantly repenting. We are constantly seeking the new direction, the long view, a new existence, or in the language of our Lenten season, we are constantly seeking to follow Jesus. Jesus loves us, so Jesus warns us. We need to hang on to both truths this morning. He loves us, And so he warns us.